We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 223 of the pod. I am Matt Rooney, not Joe Musso. Uh, I tried to mimic his opening the best I can. Phil, how do you think I did there? You think I, did I get that one down? I think it was pretty good. I think you nailed it. And even, there's some... even to the uncertainty of what episode it was. True. Even the, the 223. I mean, is this like a quasi-Jordan episode for you? Could, Could be. be. Could be. Depends. It's a big episode for you, though. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, unfortunately, Joe and I recorded what I thought was one of the, the better podcasts we've done, going absolutely in on the Bears and recapping the Ryder Cup, because after all, we are a Bears pod and a golf pod. Everybody knows that. Uh, unfortunately, in, in the process of transitioning that from the call recorder to my computer file, the file got corrupted. That file isn't all, it just disappeared. It's gone forever. It's, there's no bringing it back. I spent an hour and a half trying to look up how to fix it. it, it it's, it's gone. So we, we went and did the next best thing because Notre Dame has a big, important game this week. And Phil, what do we do on, on big, important game weeks for Notre Dame? Uh, you bring me in, and if you don't, Notre Dame loses. Yeah, well, um, in fairness, that's that's, just, that's, it still it, probably it, was the right call to not do Alabama because I don't think yeah, there because that would have you. That, no, that would have that would have broken our streak and i i appreciate it for the sake of the streak that we have going on and also as me and you are absolute you know psychopaths when it comes to routine and, and thinking that we have impacts on the game because we absolutely do yeah this absolutely matters come saturday and because we're recording this podcast notre dame is inevitably going to win the ball game that's that's just what happens when we have fill on the preview games of course notre dame is host what, what are they ranked now notre dame's now set nine cincinnati seven everywhere i've seen everywhere from Seven, nine, eight different combinations. Yeah, it's, two, yeah, that's what we're yeah, going with. The, yeah the most consistent is yeah Cincinnati at Cincinnati seven, Notre Dame nine. So it's a consensus top ten matchup in South Bend this weekend. A lot of whole, lot of storylines headed to this one went into this one too. I know you've tweeted about it, touched on it. Everybody's saying this is Cincinnati Super Bowl, pretty darn big game for Notre Dame. There's obviously the the Marcus Freeman. Uh, move in the offseason from Cincinnati to Notre Dame, leaving, you know, the, the, the Sugar Bowl team to come here. Still, from what I've been reading on your site with the, uh, I, I forgot the name of the Cincinnati guy you guys talked to, but still some hard feelings over Brian Kelly. So this is one that, that <laughs> while maybe Luke Fickle might not really care about, so the, the Cincinnati fans want pretty bad. But uh, let's let's start with, with your tweet and what we talked about a little before the podcast. Everybody's talking about how this is Cincinnati's Super Bowl, and, and it is. This is by far the biggest game of their season. Indiana's not turning out the team to be the team that they thought it would be. They have to have this one, and probably in convincing fashion, if they want to be a playoff team or contend for that playoff spot. Uh, it's a pretty darn big one for Notre Dame, too, right? This is this is it on their schedule with the way some of the teams are shaping out. Yeah, honestly, and and not to take away from Cincinnati, I, I wrote earlier this week. This is, I mean, looking at this game, this is probably, and I don't think this is a hyperbole here. This is probably this game, probably of Cincinnati's whole football career like as a team yeah. because this is this is the first time that we're going to see an opportunity for a power or non-power five team to make the playoff and if Cincinnati wins this game they have a path to making the playoff after this and they'll have road wins against Notre Dame and they'll have a road win against Indiana which are both considered quality programs and with kind of the rest of college football this year outside of Alabama and Georgia being just like pretty average outside mm-hmm. of those two teams 
this is a year where Cincinnati absolutely can and will make the playoffs if they go undefeated. So it's their Super Bowl. But I think what people aren't considering is this is also kind of by far and away now the biggest game of Notre Dame season. And so taking all the storylines outside of this, Notre Dame has won a ridiculous amount of games in a row at home. And they're now coming in with a top 10 team and Notre Dame is an underdog at home. So, you know, being an underdog at home for Notre Dame is, is enough for them to not overlook Cincinnati at all. And then you throw in a bunch of the other storylines. Brian Kelly came from Cincinnati however many years ago. So the, the fan base still harbors some, you know, some, some ill will towards that. He, uh-huh. he, he brought, you know, some other coordinators with him um, and some other people on the team with him who've played at Cincinnati. And then, you know, since then we poached, Mike Mickens, um, who's taken Notre Dame secondary to a pretty pretty high level last year. And we poached Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, one of the hottest coaches around, brought him onto their team. But again, at the other turn, we have Cincinnati, who Notre Dame's you know former coach, Mike Denbrock, is there. One of Notre Dame's former players, Michael Young, transferred in there. So there's so many connections across these two teams that there's a lot of, you know, whether it's real, fake, contrived or not, there is some real... I think animosity between the two teams. And I think it's going to get chippy and, and Cincinnati plays a chippy game. Notre Dame has taken, I would say more of a villain role than they have in the past. Um, just because they're, you know, before they're kind of always polite and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think Kyle Hamilton and the defense has had a little bit of shit talking to them. So I think we're going to see a lot of shit talking, a lot of hype. And, and did you see what um, Desmond Ritter said in, a, in an interview this week, too? I did not. Um, so to add, like, kind of more fuel to that fire for Notre Dame is he, he was quoted as saying, I think it was uh, in reference Mike Denbrock, who is a former Notre Dame coach, who's uh, Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, was saying, you know, it's going to be loud um, at Notre Dame. And Ritter's response was, it's, it's not going to be loud for very long. Um, and so... You know, that's a nice bulletin board material right uh-huh. there. So if there's any if there's any more fire that Notre Dame needed, they're going to have it. So I don't expect Notre Dame to come out flat. And I also expect Notre Dame Stadium to be pretty loud, um, which, again, it's, it's a top 10 matchup. And I think, you know, that's going to have an impact on the game. And you hope that Notre Dame doesn't do the classic, have everybody in the whole stadium sit down and complain to an usher when somebody stands. <laughs> I, I think we're going to have a pretty hyped up crowd um, because I think the entire fan base is realizing that this is by far and away the biggest game on Notre Dame Stadium because it's a top 10 matchup and then it'll kind of solidify Notre Dame as a legit or not legit team the rest of the way. So this game has huge implications for the rest of the season for Notre Dame. Yeah, and this is, I know obviously they hosted Clemson last year and it was an absolute barn burner of a game. It was game of the year, all that good stuff and they won, but that was with 25% capacity and, and a muted crowd. And this is really the first time in, you know, close to two years that Notre Dame fans are back in the stadium for a big game feel for a top 10 matchup. It's something that they haven't really experienced in quite some time. And I know you'll be in the press box and probably wishing uh, that you could maybe be in the stands <laughs> and be a little bit louder and maybe a couple Miller lights deep. Um, but let's get into the game here. I want to ask you a little bit about Cincinnati, a little bit about Desmond Ritter. What are they going to come in and try and do offensively? Um, Desmond Ritter has been, he's been good this year. I'm not sure he's been as great as everybody was hoping would be after, after his fantastic season last year, he hasn't really quite taken the next step. I don't think this is a chance for him to do that. I would say against a, a pretty good pass rush and a top five, probably pick in the NFL draft and Kyle Hamilton. So what are you expecting to see from Desmond Ritter in the Cincinnati offense? I mean, he's, he's 
I think the the toughest quarterback Notre Dame's going to face this season, um, and and they they play some more than Sam Howell. I do, I okay. do, and 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 that's not saying that Desmond Ritter is going to be a, is a significant oh, no. better quarterback than than him, but I think he poses the largest threat to Notre Dame because he's a true dual threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's going to cause Notre Dame some problems, and I think they're going to really try to. Um, you know, exploit. I don't want to say exploit because the Notre Dame secondary has been pretty good, but um, Ritter is—he's an accurate deep ball thrower. So they're especially coming into South Bend. I think pretty early on, they're going to take some shots. One to, you know, either hit on those big plays or to try to get Notre Dame to soften up a little bit. And so I'm really curious to see, you know, uh, what um, what and how Marcus Freeman picked up some pressure. I really think early on that they're going to absolutely try to attack Notre Dame kind of through the air, but knowing that they have Ritter as someone who can scramble around a little bit. But I think something that, you know, he hasn't necessarily, that Ritter hasn't faced this year because, you know, the competition that they've played so far this year has has not been great. As you mentioned, Indiana wasn't as good as, it wasn't Indiana. And uh-huh. Ritter... He struggled against through. Indiana. I watched he most did. of that game. Same. And he was... He was getting, it seems like the offensive line was getting all messed up. There was fumbles. There was tons of false start penalties. And that was Indiana, which, again, seemed like a pretty raucous environment at the time. And, you know, you hope that that, you know, he struggles a little bit just from an, you know, he knows he has to deliver. He knows this is a huge moment and this is the biggest game of his career against probably the best defense he's faced in his career. And, uh, and like the, the only reason I'm saying that is Georgia, their entire secondary didn't play last year in the mm-hmm. bowl game. Um, so those are the number twos for Georgia. Now, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so this is truly the most meaningful game of his career as well. And so, it's a lot of pressure on him. So I think what we're going to see is, um, you know, hopefully some discipline from the, um, from the edge rushers and, and not losing contain. And so, you know, what I, what I think about, and, and two guys who can have a massive impact on this game, because um, Cincinnati did replace their tackles this year. Their offensive line has been pretty average. It's not like he's standing behind an off, awesome offensive line. And so I think Jordan Botello and Isaiah Foskey can, both have some pretty big impacts on the game, especially if they're trying to take those longer developing deep shots. Uh-huh. And so, you know, and they also don't have like an elite tight end. So whereas last week you saw Kyle Hamilton lined up on um, uh, Wisconsin tight end Ferguson, who's a great tight end. So a lot of times he wasn't over the top. I think this week we're going to see Kyle Hamilton over the top to protect against a lot of those deep routes. And so if they're going to happen, they're going to be, later developing deeper routes, which I think is, you know, a recipe for Notre Dame to get some pressure on Ritter and to, to get him. But where, where it ner- makes me nervous is when on those routes, when he steps up in the pocket and then can scramble for eight, 10, 12, 15 yards. So uh-huh. that's a, that's an area that, that absolutely worries me. Who do you think coming into this one has more of the advantage? Is it Marcus Freeman that knows Desmond Ritter, knows this offense, or is it vice versa, Luke Fickle, Mike Dunbrock, Desmond Ritter, who kind of know what's going to be thrown at him defensively, or is it kind of a little bit of both, a bit of a mixed bag? You know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think Freeman knows, you know, Fickle's scheme and like very intimately. And so what's, what's interesting is both these defenses play a very similar style. Um, And so both offenses are now used to playing against the defense that they were going to play against like pretty consistently in practice through the Uh past, you know, for Notre Dame, just since the spring Cincinnati for the last few years. So there's going to be some, you know, you hope some advantages that they see that they recognize, but, you know, I think we can see it. I think we'll see the, 
see it skew a little bit in Notre Dame's favor because the way that I think about it is who has, you know, similar schemes, but who has the better athletes on that side of the ball? And Notre Dame has better athletes on the defensive side of the ball than, you know, uh, Cincinnati has on the offensive side of the ball. And so when I think you take two similar schemes, I always skew in favor of the the better athletes. And that's going to be on Notre Dame's defensive side of the ball. Uh, I want one more question here for you on the defense before we get to the offense, because I do think there are plenty of questions and toss-ups that, that are, need to be addressed, talked about there. But defensively, um, I lost my train of thought for a second here, Phil. I don't remember what I was going to ask you. If Kyle, to Ham- if Kyle Hamilton's no. going to get an interception, well, Kyle, the Ham- Kyle is Hamilton's probably going probably to get Probably, yes. I would say over <laughs> one and a half, but I remembered it just came back to me. Um, Notre Dame, I thought the Florida State game, you were at a wedding, so I don't think you saw much of that one, at least not in real time. But the defense came out absolutely firing. They were ap- they were shutting down Florida State, who now we know is not as good of a team as they might have looked like. Defense looked great for about a quarter and a half. Big play got ripped off. Notre Dame's defense kind of went into a shell, it seemed like, for six straight quarters after that. They didn't play well the rest of the Florida State game. They did not play very well against Toledo. They've bounced back against Purdue holding what's a – not a great Purdue team, but a pretty solid offense to 13 points. And then a Wisconsin team who, I mean, no one's going to confuse Graham Mertz for, for a Desmond Ritter, <laughs> but Wisconsin can run the football on anybody, and they were not able to do that with too much consistency against Notre Dame. So what's changed in these last two games for them defensively other than maybe just attitude? I mean, I think it's like you you you, you see how good a coach is by the – adjustments that happen in season. So anytime you, you put a you put a new scheme in place, um, you're going to have some things that go really well and then some things that don't go very well. And a lot of that has to do with understanding what personnel to put in what situations. And, you know, in the first few games, you only get a small sample size from a coach's perspective of who does something in practice and then who steps up and fully executes that in the game. And so as a coach, you give the guys the opportunities who've been doing it in practice. But, you know, as you know, there's some guys who do it in practice and then just it doesn't all come together in the game. So a lot of it, which has been really interesting, is the way that, especially when you're looking up from the press box, you're seeing a lot of almost hockey shifts on the defensive side of the ball where they're subbing in handfuls of defensive backs, handful of defensive linemen, handfuls of linebackers at all times. And so what I've seen is he's cooking up, the scheme has always been there. And if you notice, like some of the big plays that they were giving up were individual execution errors. They weren't horrible scheme errors. They weren't, you know, it wasn't a, a lapse in coverage. It was just individuals who didn't make a play. And a lot of times they were even relatively in an okay position to make a play and they just weren't doing so. And so I think what we've seen now is, Freeman knows what he has on the defensive side of the ball from a scheme perspective, but also from a personnel perspective. And so a lot of those guys who are stepping up now are guys that he trusts and they also trust Freeman. And that's part of it where, you know, you're going into the first game, things start going wrong at the end of the first game, things aren't going great in week two. And there has to be in the back of people's mind and even the national media, did we make a mistake with Marcus Freeman? I think from an, from someone who's pretty knowledgeable and looked at what happened with Brian Van Gorder, it was very clear that it was, you know, eight, you know, eight elevenths, nine elevenths of the way there, sometimes 10 elevenths of the way there. It just wasn't necessarily complete yet. And so the defense have settled in now and are playing extremely fast and confidently. And the, the biggest example that I can provide with that is you look at Cam Hart last week, he got beat on a slant route and got a PI called on him. The next two times that that route happens, he identified it, had an unbelievable break on the ball and picked both of them off. And so that's the type of thing where the players are also starting to make plays and gain confidence. And so 
it's going to be a huge, 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 huge test for Notre Dame because this is the best quarterback they've faced so far. Um, you know, outside of North Carolina, probably the best like offense and uh-huh. definitely the best team. But Freeman, Freeman's Freeman's really the dude, and he's showing that he's the dude that he was when they hired him. It just took a few games to adjust, and I'd much rather have that than him start out incredibly, everyone anoint him the next savior, and then tank, which was almost like Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, it's yeah. I've, you mentioned how fast they were playing, and I think that's the one thing I've taken from from this group this year that I noticed them. Not I haven't seen every snap of every game like you have, but. There is something different about this year's defense, and hopefully going forward, we see with these recruiting classes going from you know top fifteen recruiting classes, the top seven, top five, you're starting to see that SEC type speed on the defense. It's not just guys knowing where to be at the right time; it's also guys having the speed to get there and to get an even better position, which is an encouraging sign going forward. And while it might not mean they have the best defense in the world this year, because they still have some guys learning under a new system, some younger players, it does give me confidence going forward that they, that they will have that speed to be an elite defense like you see from an Alabama or an LSU or a Georgia and with the recruiting classes they have coming up in the next couple of years I know it's you know they're one or two no matter depending on who you ask and I think top five in 2023 I, I think this is kind of what we should expect to see going forward yeah and, and taking a, a larger step back here it's 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 not a bad time to be a Notre Dame fan looking ahead to the next three to four years. And so, you know, me, me and you had a conversation this summer where, hey, you know what, the recruits they have coming in are awesome. The quarterbacks that they have coming in, you know, with Tyler Buckner and then some of the guys in, in, the, in the hopper that they're hopefully going to get are, you know, high scale four and five star guys. The offensive talent that they're bringing in is at a higher is at a higher level than they've seen before. The defensive talent is at a significantly higher level than they've thought of before. So mm-hmm. This year, we both came into the season looking at as, you know what, let's have fun this year. This is a placeholder year. There's a lot of young talent. The offensive line is going to be a bit of a mess. We knew that. Let's just have fun. And even with that, you know, it's been exciting. It's been pretty stressful. But I think from a casual fan or somebody else's or even an analyst perspective, it's a fun year to be a Notre Dame fan because I'm not going into it with the lofty expectations that we've had of a like an incredibly experienced returning quarterback offensive line. It's a reload type of year and Notre Dame will, if they win this game, will still be in a position to threaten for the playoffs. Now, are they a playoff team? Unless the offensive line drastically figures stuff out. Absolutely not. But this year, every anything that we get, I, I truly think this is a new year six type of team. And that's in like a down year. Um, and, and that's exciting as a Notre Dame fan. And especially with the talent coming in behind it's going to be a nice three, four, five years where Notre Dame now has kind of changed the narrative from being kind of fluky types of wins to a consistently winning program. And, you know, hopefully they move, move beyond the eking out a bunch of close wins, which is a lot better than eking out a bunch of close losses uh-huh. to much more confident wins, dominating types of performances and having a team where both the offensive output matches the um, defensive output, which they've, ne- it's just kind of one of those things where they've never, truly aligned it's it's been nice this year like you were saying to come to the realization a couple times in in conversation you and i talk about this feels like once a week but it's kind of cool like you said there, knowing that this is a quote-unquote down year for what we expect for notre dame and they're still likely going to be contending for a new year's six game it's uh it's it's amazing where they've come in the last you know 10 years where in in the good years they were a new year's six team um but you you 
brought up Tyler Buckner, so I want to get right into the quarterback conversation. Um, how's his health? Where's he at? How is he practicing and stuff this week? I know he was practicing last week, but then didn't get a rep in the game because he was still kind of banged up. Jack Cohn obviously went down, and, and now they're saying he's getting his reps in practice, but like Buckner, he didn't play when he was getting reps. Drew Pine came in, actually looked pretty good. Does Drew Pine or Tyler Buckner actually work better with this offense in this with this offensive line because he can move a little bit more? Is Jack Cohn the option? Where do you think they go quarterback-wise? Because it, it seems like they have, I'll call it two and a half options right now because I don't think they'll <laughs> ever fully entrust Tyler Buckner to run the entire offense this year. But where do you think they kind of go with that quarterback on Saturday? So um, I think from a, just taking a, again, I feel like I've said take a step back like three times. So I feel like I'm getting those. Just take uh, a step back, Phil. <laughs> but I think, I think we saw some coach speak from Brian Kelly's press conference today. So in my, in my gut, I think, I don't think Cohen's going to be ready to go. And that's, a, that's okay. a, a hobbled Cohen too at that yeah. is, is not a good quarterback. Um, honestly, this is my honest opinion. You throw Jack Cohen into some of the offensive line Notre Dame's had in the past few years, and I think he is a great, great, great fit for this offense uh-huh. um, because he'll have time in the pocket. He can go through his progressions. He's accurate throwing the ball, but you know he's not healthy right now. And he, the biggest knock against him has been his mobility, and so uh-huh. his mobility and kind of his 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 flow 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 inside of the pocket hasn't been great. And part of that is because he has such a freaking short clock because of how bad the offensive line has been protecting him and so you know I think right now with his if he's fully healthy I still think he's the guy just because he has the experience Uh we've only seen Drew Pine in small flashes which he is very good and so I think for this weekend one I don't think I think it was coach speak and I think Drew Pine is going to get the start because you know if he was definitively healthy I think he would come out and say it but I think he's just trying to trip Cincinnati up and make them prepare for two quarterbacks you know, in this case, three, which brings which brings me to Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner was um, cleared to play last week, but I think in warmups, at least what I saw, he was clearly not fully confident mm-hmm. in his hamstring. And granted, I wouldn't trust a hamstring on Soldier Field's field. Me, nope. you have played there, and it's terrible. Um, and so, and also, you know, versus Wisconsin, the game plan was not necessarily to do read option and run the ball because of how good their defensive line was. So. Buckner, we're going to see Buckner this week. I think Pine gets the start, and I think that combination gives them the best opportunity to win the game, primarily with, um, you know, the I'd say the, the confidence and the swagger that um, I mean, I don't know that that Pine has. I think you saw his confident regardless. little guy. He is, and he's he's fun to watch. He brings an energy. He brings like he plays like he's like six two two twenty, but he's five eleven, one hundred and ninety five pounds. Got a little Baker Mayfield in him. He does, and that's something where his he's. I mean, he's been quoted by his teammates. Uh, Kyle Hamilton said on his podcast last week that he is a top five most liked guy on the team, and for a red shirt freshman backup quarterback who's mm-hmm. thrown eleven career passes, that's a pretty big thing. So he clearly has a confidence of his teammates, and with with. Cohen's still hobbled. He's going to be the guy this weekend, but we're going to see a lot of um, a lot of Tyler Buckner. And I think where Cincinnati is, you know, has some gaps is right up the middle. They play a three, three, five defense. And so they know they're susceptible to the runs. And so if Notre Dame can hit on some of those read options with Buckner, but even with Pine, you know, I uh-huh. think one of the, one of the big problems that I've had with Cohen this year is there's been multiple opportunities on a read option look where he's just not good at the read option where he could pick up, you know, six, seven yards and he's just giving he it. Doesn't pull. Yeah. He, he, he hasn't pulled the ball one time. He's, he's the exact opposite of me when I played quarterback, which 
I don't think I gave the ball one time ever. And I think, I think you're going to look at, um, you're going to look at more of a Ian book type read option with uh, Drew Pine. Obviously he's not quite the runner that Ian book was, uh-huh. but in terms of, you know, at least what I've seen from practice clips and what I've heard, he's, he's better at that read option. Um, and I think when you have that, even just a threat of a run, even if he pulls it the first time or two, um, you know, I, I think that's going to help develop the run game a little bit because right now, in the read option, teams aren't accounting for Cohen at all because he hasn't pulled it one single time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to. Um, you brought up Buckner, and obviously you were saying they, they kind of do some similar things, Buckner and Pine, that is. Where do you see Buckner kind of fitting into the game plan this week? Because if he's healthy, he can and probably will get some reps. But if they kind of do the same things well for the most part, where do you see Buckner fitting into the offense, kind of what types of situations? So two types of things here. I think the first is the the true RPO where he has had some opportunities where we're looking at a inside inside read where Buckner pulls it and then is reading the defensive end of the corner and then has the opportunity to throw it either to a running back or to a smoke screen. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that. But the one thing I think that, you know, if I'm Tommy Reese and I'm bringing in Tyler Buckner and you run a couple read option plays, you have some success, the defense starts to come up, you know, I really wouldn't be surprised to see a look where it, you know, it looks like he's going to be doing that read option, but takes a couple steps back and you have, you know, Kevin Austin or Braden Lindsay show their stock blocking and then go downfield for, for a deep throw. And, and I, I don't think it's going to be like a tight seam ball window or a tight cover two hole shot. But I do think with him, he's got a big arm. And so at the very least, they have to put that thread of pass in. Uh-huh. So I think he comes in to run some read options, but then has just a bomb. Whether it's caught or not, I, I don't think that matters so much. But I think they need to do that. Have because the threat it, it there. You exactly, have to at least respect it if you know they might run it. Exactly. And I think Notre Dame wants to get that on tape, but also, you know, I think they want to be able to execute that and potentially take advantage of that. So, you know, you, we've clearly seen that Buckner has the arm to do it. And so what's the harm in throwing up a, a deep 50-50 ball to Kevin Austin? I don't see any harm in any harm in that whatsoever. Granted, if it's if, if Austin's going to have a day because they've got a uh, cornerback named uh, Smash Gardner, who's uh, probably a first-round draft pick. <laughs> it's a great name. Uh, it, it only took 26 minutes, though I do think that might be a record for you to mention Kevin Austin. I feel like every time we've had him on, had you on, even when he's been suspended or hurt or not playing, you've still managed a way to figure out how to get his name into the podcast. Um, Kevin Austin has been pretty solid so far this year. Um, what have you thought of Kevin Austin's season, and, and how do you think he can maybe take another step forward and become a true game-breaker wide receiver? I think he's close. I think he's close. He's had, a, he's he's had, had a flashes. Couple. That catch against Florida State was was really, really good in the end zone. Yeah, and even I think the, the play that goes a little bit under the radar in Florida State is he took a screen, or a, kind of a, I think it was like a eight or 10 yard out route, back stepped and then accelerated. And it was just like, Notre Dame doesn't have dudes who do that. They belong in the SEC. And uh-huh. so it was really good to see that. And he's close. I think he still has some learning when it comes to, um, and just experience in terms of beating like some tight press coverage um, he's clearly got the ball skills and I think people were down on him at game three because he, he had a poor game against Purdue. Also, Jack Cohen missed him two times for touchdowns. And so as a receiver who hasn't played much, that's tough psychologically. Like I beat my guy. I was open. Two balls just weren't even close to me that should have been touchdowns. 
And so I think hitting him on some of those and also just, you know, he had a tough game, his third game of the year, because it was like really the third significant playing time that he was getting in a couple years. And so, you know, I think we saw him bounce back last week. If he doesn't, again, get tripped up uh, by, um, by Soldier Field's miserable turf last week, he has, you know, he has a, a long touchdown on a slant. And so he's close. And I think this will be a really good test for him. And I think he's a guy who wants it really badly from all intents and purposes and everything that's come out of Notre Dame. He works his absolute ass off to try to be the best that he can. And so, you know, hopefully last week gave him some even more confidence because he doesn't, I don't think he will be necessarily the, the total game breaker t- this weekend, but I think he's going to need to step up and make a couple you know, 50-50 type of balls or, you know, hey, take a smoke screen or take a slant and, and do something with Make it. Make some guys because, miss. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I think he's, he for me isn't someone who's not necessarily the absolute key to this game. I think he's going to be, it's, it's more, I think, in the quarterbacks and also, you know, Hercules himself, Michael Mayer. Um, <laughs> because th- that's, that's the biggest matchup for Notre Dame to exploit is Michael Mayer and Chris Tyree, and Kyron Williams on the linebackers, especially when you're working with Drew Pine, because, you know, as you're a quarterback who going a rookie, rookie or redshirt freshman quarterback going into potentially, you know, your first career start, you know, you want to rely on the guys that are going to be your go-to guys. And you look at Michael Mayer, you look at Chris Tyree, you look at Kyron Williams, and they're going to be matched up against, you know, a decent, but not great linebacking core. And so what I'm hoping we see out of Drew Pine and some of those guys is Ian Book circa 2018, which is very accurate, short, intermediate routes, and then letting those guys make plays in space. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that's that's what we see. And that's where I see, you know, at least if I'm Tommy Reese, I'm trying to get um, Drew Pine going really early. Are, are, are those those three guys? Because any one of them are also just matchup nightmares. Um, you brought up Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams, two guys I wanted to get into because we know the offensive line kind of is what it is this year. It's it's a reload year for that group too. It's it's, it's a lot of learning on the job and they're going to have their growing pains. They haven't been great. Hopefully they're getting better. Uh, what have you made from Kyron Williams here is going to be fine. He's a great player. I'm not really worried about him. He makes the best out of just about every situation. What do you thought about Chris Tyree's development this year? Coming in as the you know the five star running back last year, took a backseat to Kyron Williams for the breakout year. What have you like, dislike, want to see from from Chris Tyree after what you've seen from through what four games this year? I mean his his speed is there. Um, that's I don't think anyone questions that. I also think he's bulked up and he's he's definitely been running harder this year. Uh, the holes just haven't been there. So a thing that I've really liked is his ability as a pass catcher. Um, every time him and Kyron Williams touches the ball, first off, they both have great hands. And second of all, as soon as they get it, they're upfield very, very quickly. And so I think that has been a huge thing. It's just, I think Tyree has to, he's still kind of working out his feel as a running back, but it's tough to do so. It's just a pretty bad offensive line, um, to be honest. And also, no threat of quarterback run. So a lot of the times when he's getting the ball, it's a read option. If it's a read option, look, everyone's crashing down on him regardless. So, you know, I think I don't have any doubts about Tyree. I think he still needs to work, work out a little bit on kind of his vision and his decisiveness through the holes, but that gets made a lot easier with a better offensive line and a more mm-hmm. mobile quarterback, which is coming. So I, I don't have any worries about him. You know, I feel bad for Kyron that his stats aren't going to be necessarily huge, but he's been averaging over a hundred yards a game 
not running the ball, but just total purpose yards. Yeah. And so, you know, any NFL scout is, they're not going to be like, oh, he had a down year because his yards per rush are bad. They're going to look and say his offensive line was terrible and he did what he had to do with. And if you look at him as a, you know, as I think there's a play of uh, last week where he absolutely bodied a 235 pound linebacker in a pass game. So Williams is also going to be an absolute asset this weekend in the pass game, um, not just catching the ball, but protecting whoever is playing quarterback because his, you know, his bread and butter is is picking up blitzes and being extremely physical. And so that can go a long way with Pine because if Kyron can pick up the core blitzer, you know, I feel more comfortable with Pine at least moving around if the pocket collapses a little bit where Jack Cohen with a bum ankle is just not going to be very mobile. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is Kyron gone this year? After this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For sure. For sure. There's if, and if I'm, just, I'm telling. Couldn't you have just lied and made me not sad? No, I'm, I'm telling him to do that 10 times out of 10. Oh um, yeah. He, he should. He should. And he's going to be, he's going to be a, you know, a mid second round pick. Uh, he's going to stick on a team. He's a guy that any NFL team is going to be lucky to have. And the good thing is for Notre Dame is they have some backs. Uh, obviously outside of Chris Tyree, they have a couple different types of backs that are freshmen right now. That'll be household names next year. They've done a great job of recruiting him too. They they really have. So you look at, you know, we're not going to get too far down this, but Audric Estime, who's a Robert Hughes type, you know, workhorse hog type of a back. And then you get Logan Diggs, who I think is much more of a all purpose type back like Kyron Williams. That just sounds like the name of an all purpose, like sketch. Right. Logan Diggs, Logan Riggs and Audric and, And Audric Estime, like those are some, and you know, they've got another guy, uh, Jadarian Price coming in. So it's an all, all name team coming in the running back for next year. I have no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, And so it's, it's, it's a better group than, you know, you look two years ago and it was Jafar Armstrong, Tony Jones, Jr. uh, Jimmy and Jameer Smith, which all pretty average type of running backs. And now, um, you know, moving on to this much more elite type of group, which is obviously good. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up here with with three quick questions to close it out. Offensively, give me an X factor, X factor player scenario, whatever, whatever you want. What's what's an X factor in deciding this one for Notre Dame on, on Saturday, offensively? Um, Michael Mayer having over eight catches. Okay. I like that. That would likely mean that he doesn't have those those couple drops in there that he's been uh, a little bit prone to so far early on this year. Hopefully he gets those out of his system because when he's not dropping the ball, he's almost unguardable, untackleable. Uh, defensively, same question. Give me an X factor. Give me a stat. Give me a scenario situation. Not named Kyle Hamilton. I would say um, combine pressures and sacks from... Uh, Batello, Foskey, and Myron Tagovailoa, Mosa. I think if those guys are getting pressures and sacks, it's going to be a long day for Cincinnati's offense. All right, and then I think I ask you this every time. No, but throw two more questions in because I ask these last two every time. Uh, finish the sentence, Notre Dame wins on Saturday if? Um, they win the turnover battle. I've it, after I asked that, I figured that's what you were just going to go to because when you, when you kind of answer both of those questions on both sides of the ball <laughs> in the previous two, that's an easy one. Uh, give me your final score prediction. I'm going to go Notre Dame. Let's see. Notre Dame 27, uh, Cincinnati 17. 
I am right around there. I also at the under set at 50 and a half, and I like this as an under because I think both teams, Cincinnati plays pretty good defense. Notre Dame's defense has been starting to figure it out like we've talked about the last couple of weeks, yeah. and, and we're starting to see that elite speed that they have. I'm, I've got it like right around 24-16, 24-20, something like that. It's going to come down to the wire. I don't think either team is going to run away with this one. Yeah. Um, now, I, I want to credit myself here because earlier in the podcast, <laughs> just or, or, shocker, earlier, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about Marcus Freeman. You, you mentioned that the, the great coaches know how to make adjustments, whether that's in-game and as the season goes on. And when you said that, I bit my tongue because there's a certain coach of a different team that we root for that has zero idea oh. how to make adjustments to absolutely anything, whether that's in-game or as the season goes on or as personnel. Um, I got it out of my system. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, my, my bears anger angst via here, via Twitter. I think everybody knows my thoughts on the Chicago bears situation. Phil, I'm, I'm giving you 60 seconds here on the clock. Just go ahead, vent, vent about the bears, vent about what you saw last week, who, who the head coach of this team still is, whatever you want. 60 seconds on the clock. Just sadness. It's like you have Justin Fields and you decide on 20 pass attempts to give against a very good defensive line and a very athletic group of linebackers to give him no extra help on 13 of those 20 pass attempts and keep him inside of the pocket. What are we doing? Like a guy who is known for being out of the pocket, a quarterback who runs a four, four and is like 225, 230 pounds. Let's just keep him drop back in the pocket against miles Garrett. Like uh, you, uh, my conspiracy wheels were turning if this was almost Maggie's Maggie's play of you know you know the path I'm going down to say like oh I told you Andy Dalton was right but I think he he blew it in such spectacular fashion that and, it, and, and the fact that he in the press conference was not saying who's calling the plays it's just an absolute dumpster fire and I, it makes me it makes me sad very sad because I love watching the Bears at noon on a Sunday more than anything. And I, I, you know, this this game this weekend against the Lions, I think they might get blown out by the Lions. I, it's once Sunday kicks off, I'm not going to be able to watch the Bears and not root for them. I'm going to have to, but Same. in my head right now, that's what's best for this team. What's best for the or the future of this franchise is the Bears to go out and lose to Detroit twenty four to ten. And not you, really be get, close. Get, and that, yeah, that's what's if, best for the franchise because I truly, I, I, maybe it's me being optimistic for some reason, but I truly think a bad, bad loss to the Lions would probably mean Matt Nagy's not coaching the team next week. You, you I mean, you can't come back after a bad loss to a winless Lions team. And granted, the Lions aren't as bad as their record at all. They're they're actually pretty solid. But from an optics perspective, you just you absolutely can't have it, and it just. It makes me feel better because I had that thought too, and I feel like I feel like my dad, who back in the day would you know, as the Bears would start to tank late in the season, they would he would just be like, oh, I hope they lose for a better draft pick. But it's like this case, there's there are some there's advantages. No draft pick. I, I, exactly, no draft it's just pick. it's just there's just you know you're just there's got to be there's got to be something different. And I think what made me sick is my wife and I went to a Bears preseason game against the Bills, and you just I went out there and just like. It's like a coach decided to use to roll Mitch Trubisky out to like use his skill set, and Mitch Trubisky just carved up the Bears. And I'm like, so we had this guy who just carved. I mean, granted, it was preseason, but like everything that he was doing 
we never saw as a bear. And so I'm one, I'm thankful. I'm happy for Mitch that he got out of this Mm -hmm. absolute garbage situation. But at the same time, it's a prime opportunity for a new coach to come in with, you know, uh, obviously there's definitely some holes in the team and that's apparent to everyone, but to a quarterback who is a once in a generation type of talent. I mean, he's one of the top recruited, recruited athletes from a like raw score perspective ever to come out of high school. Um, and so it's like, and he show he's shown that in college, he's shown that in glimpses in the preseason. And, you know, it's just sad because when we got Justin Fields, we had this glimmer of hope. And then in Justin Fields first start, like Matt Nagy just like pooped in the top of our toilet and then closed the lid. And we've been sitting with poop. We've been sitting with poop water. That's, that's how (laughs) graphic, but kind of accurate. It's been, (sighs) it was, it, it, I can't go as far as the conspiracy theory route. I want to in my head. I can't. I want to in my head. I can't actually. I can't actually pull the trigger. But I'm letting myself. I'm letting myself listen to it. The fact that it looked that bad that it even thought like let that idea cross people's minds should show you how bad it was. But it was just. It was literally like you had never game plan for a for a good pass rush before ever game plan without a stud offensive line before ever game plan without your quarter. Like it's Nick Saban says it all the time. It's not about like the coach's scheme. The coach's scheme means nothing. The best coaches adapt their scheme to their players. Whereas whatever Matt Nagy does is whatever he does. And he tries to shoehorn, you know, whatever he wants, the the players he has into whatever they want instead of maximizing their ability. But I'm not going to get into it. We're gonna finish thing, this one, thing. One, 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 one small it. question. Okay. Do you? Yeah, I'm gonna let you. Do you think if you were calling the plays on Saturday, you could have had more yards just in an NFL blitz style playbook? Yeah. Do you think you could have had more yards than than Nagy put up? I would have had some sort of tight end chip Miles Garrett and then bump off for like a. a a little screen right over there and then he'd probably pick up five yards and then we'd have more net passing yards than Matt Nagy did. Like it was, I, I know you don't have the time to go deep all the time because they're getting such a pass rush, but like, man, you got Allen Robinson, you got Darnell Mooney, both guys who can run. Like you keep a tight end in, you keep a running back in, you, you have seven blocking and then roll out and maybe take your chance with Allen Robinson. And the one time they did that, granted it wasn't a great pass interference call. You got a pass interference call. And then, best play of the game. And then they turned it into a field goal. But, like, you can't just run hitch 30 times a game. You just, you can't do it. Or, or or when you finally get into the red zone with your elite running quarterback, decide to go wildcat. Yeah, that was the first play Justin Fields ever ran in the red, in the red zone as a starter was wildcat with David Montgomery. Like, I love David Montgomery. I think he's a really good running True. back. But what are you doing? It's it, like it took them five different running plays before they just decided to run regular inside zone. They have to run some crazy misdirection with two fake handoffs and try and run, you know, run something up off Jason Peters on the out. Like just run the ball inside. Just run, just line up and run inside zone right. First play of the game. See what happens. David Montgomery's probably going to pick up three yards. I'm just, sorry for, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did uh, this to you, Matt. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I thought I didn't have any anger left in me, but clearly I, uh, I don't. Here's to hopefully having some less anger next week. Hopefully Phil's record stays intact and we can keep having him on the podcast because we'll have to see if, if they don't win and the streak dies. But uh, Phil, thanks for, for hopping on, joining us here in a pinch. Uh, have fun at the game in the press box on Saturday and uh, bring us home a winner. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope that we have a 
Happy Saturday. And if Sunday is bad, we wake up on Monday morning with the new Bears coach. Uh, I guess that's what we have to look forward to, but that's all we have <laughs> here. Sad life, sad that's life. A, that's all we have time for here on episode 223 of the Moose and Roots podcast. Uh, we'll be tweeting out our locks of the week this week. Joe and I have both submitted them, so keep an eye out for those. And uh, we'll catch you next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>